This episode is brought to you by Element. That's L-M-N-T. What's Element? Element is the product that came into my life at exactly the right moment. I've been training hard. I've been sweating like a maniac. But unfortunately, after my sessions, I could never kick that feeling of dehydration. It didn't matter how much water I drank. In fact, the more water I drank, the worse it got. My body was telling me, you need more. You need electrolytes. But I refused to go and buy some sugary sports drink and put that garbage into my body. Enter Element. What's Element? It's a tasty electrolyte drink mix. That's right. I said tasty. They have seven different flavors. My personal favorite is mango chili. But most importantly, it's got no sugar. It's got no gluten. It's got no garbage. There's got no guilt. Take it. You'll feel better. You won't feel like a bum after you drink it. You won't feel any guilt after taking it. To get your element today, go to drinklmnt.com backslash George Mahoney. Again, that's drinklmnt.com backslash George Mahoney. Get yours today. Welcome to the episode of the Mahoney Advanced Training Podcast. Once again, I'm going to give you six tips and tricks to make you more efficient and effective in the weight room, the boardroom, and on a football field. And, and, we're going to give a recap of what happened at this week's Tag Team Challenge. Okay, tip number one. It is something I am experimenting with, and it has to do with the good old farmer's walk. Now, if you train with me, or anybody, you know that it is so hard to keep those weights staying on the Farmer's Walk bar without sliding off. And we've tried, I'd say, just about everything at advanced training. We've tried one clamp. We've tried the manufacturer's clamp. We've tried a magnetic clamp. We've tried a magnetic clamp and then a second clamp behind it. And some of these things are better than others, but none of them have been able to keep that weight on the end of the Farmer's Walk for the entirety of our workout. We are constantly constantly stopping the workout to retighten the clamps. And sometimes I feel like that's hurting my grip more than actually carrying the farmer's walk. Anyway, at the suggestion of Mark Strange, I took a mini band and wrapped it around each side of the farmer's walk to see if that would hold the bands in place. And guess what? It didn't. It actually did not do anything. So, uh, sorry, to keep the bar, the plates in place. It didn't do anything. In fact, the mini band snapped now, I have to believe that part of it has to do that as while you are running around, while you're running around, that band is shaking all over the place, and it's very different than doing a one-arm far, uh, one-arm farmer's walk deadlift. So I think that movement is what's, what caused it to break. Having said that, and to be fair, I did use more of a physical therapy-type band, like one of those, almost like uh, an elastic band, versus the legitimate mini bands that you would put use for weightlifting. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to purchase a mini band from Elite FDS, throw one on each side, and see if that in any way, shape, or form will help keep those plates in place. Now keep one other thing in mind. When people, when you see people doing this, when they're, say, deadlifting, they have like six plates on one side, and they wrap a band around one side, and then they wrap a band around the other side. And that keeps the, the plates all stuck together so they don't fall off the pole. Or, if somebody's doing a hex bar deadlift, they can wrap one band around both sides of the hex bar. So, you can't do that with a farmer's walk, because then you can't walk next to the actual bar to pick it up. So, we are going to experiment. We're going to keep experimenting. We will find a way. And, uh, Mark Strange, I am happy that you came up with a suggestion. Let's keep thinking, buddy. Alright, tip number two. It is an, an exercise tip. It's either for a coach or for an athlete doing their own program. But let's, start with the co- let's start with the athlete. If you are being told to run anything over a 30-yard dash, 
if you're, if, you're, if you're sprinting over 30 yards, my suggestion to you, especially if you have not been training for an official 40-yard dash time or a 100-meter time, if you're not like a track person, right? if you're not on the track team, my suggestion to you is to run that sprint at about 90% capacity. So that means don't get yourself into a situation where you're racing your buddy in a parking lot for 40 yards or uh, you're in a tag team challenge where you got to do a sprint over 30 yards because invariably, if you have not trained enough for this and your technique is not down, you are going to either tweak or pull your hamstring. And that's probably going to happen because when you get to the certain distance, you're going to hit this top end speed, you're going to break down on your form, you're probably going to overreach with your steps, and bang, you're going to tweak your hamstring. Now, this is foreshadowing to something that's going to be talked about in our Tag Team Challenge this week, but again, my recommendation to you is to run it at about 90% of your threshold, even if it's going to make you a little slower. Even if in your mind you think it's going to make you a little slower, my guess is most people, when they do run at 90% threshold, might run just as fast or even faster because they're not all tense and tight and trying to run that fast. But again, if you're going to run anything over a 30-yard sprint, try and keep your pace to about a 90% threshold. Don't try and max out. Having said that, if you're a coach, try to not have people run over a 30-yard sprint. And if you have to, we've had some challenges where people have designed this in. Things that I've done is have I've had the guys start from the ground. This way, by the time they get themselves up and even into a sprint, they've got about 5 or 10 yards. And now, by the time they hit that 30, they're not at their top end speed. So that's a trick that I would have. A trick that I should have used today. Again, foreshadowing as to what happened at today's Tag Team Challenge. Okay, tip number three. A quote that I am thinking about. And it's actually going to link to my tip number four, which is a productivity tip. But quote, the quote that I'm thinking about, that's tip number three, is be productive slowly. I'll say that one again. Be productive slowly. So that's the quote that I'm thinking about. And why is it a productivity tip? Well, this is my productivity tip number four is to, again, be, I'm going to actually follow the quote to be productive slowly. What it means to me is, is that you don't want to just rush through your day and get 100 items off your checklist. Or make a checklist with 200 items on it and then try and get all those things done. So what I'm learning is, at least for myself, and this is not for any underachievers out there. This is for people that are really good at being highly productive. This is only for people that are really good at, high, at being highly productive. It is make a list that is doable. So if this is achievable. I'm going to put down five things. I'm going to get these five things done today. These are the things I need to get done today to be a success. Don't make that list 10 things. In my mind, maybe that list is three things. But the point is to be productive slowly for two reasons. One, I don't want the list to be so long that if I don't achieve it, then I feel miserable. Or two, if I do achieve it, I feel completely and totally burnt out. Right? I make a list of 10 things. Uh, I got to stay up till 2 o'clock in the morning to get those 10 things done. And now I'm completely and totally swamped. And to piggyback onto that idea, the other part of being productive slowly is that maybe I can get a little depth in what I'm doing. Maybe if I only have three things on my list, I could rethink things a little longer. I can maybe double check my work. I'm not rushing from one thing to the other. Or maybe, just maybe, after I do those, each of those three things, I can take a break and maybe do like a little bit of form of meditation, non-sleep, deep rest. And now when I do that, I can learn what I just did even better. 
So again, be productive slowly. I think that's a great quote, and I do think it's a great productivity tip. And it kind of links back to, I think uh, Bill Gates had the saying, this is, it's, it's similar to, and it links to, it's not identical, but Bill Gates said, most people overestimate what they can do in a, a day and underestimate what they can do in a year. I'll say that one again. Most people overestimate what they can do in a day and underestimate what they can do in a year. So the point is, don't make this list too long. I think it links beautifully back to be productive slowly. And if you are productive slowly, at the you're going to accomplish, say, three things a day. By the end of that year, we're talking over 1,200 things you've accomplished at the end of the year. And hopefully there's some compound interest in it because you've learned it. You've absorbed it, and now you're highly effective at the things that you've accomplished over that course of the day. Okay, tip number five, something that I'm reading that is moving me. It is called Atomic Habits. I talked about it last week. I'm still reading the book. I'm not a speed reader, but I, I am reading it. And again, I'm trying to be productive slowly, so I'm reading like maybe one to two chapters a day. And one thing that hit me in that book that I read yesterday was, and this could link back to productivity tips, for a habit, people will say, how long does it take to either break a habit or make a new habit? Is it 21 days? Is it a month? And what the book is outlining right now is it's not the length of time, it's the number of repetitions that you got get at it. So, for example, going for a 10-minute walk every day is a much better way to build a habit of going on a walk than, you know what, it's Saturday, I'm going to go on a 10-mile hike, right? If you took that 10 miles and broke it up to, uh, you know, 10 minutes a day over a month, that builds the habit and reinforces the habit of going for a walk versus, oh, I'm going to go out and just go for this really, really long hike. It's the same thing as like, oh, I need to get a great tan. Well, are you going to get a great tan by go sitting, go sitting out in the sun for 12 hours in one day? Or if you went and sat out in the sun for 20 minutes a day and didn't burn yourself, right? It's, just, it's the same type of contest. It's that minimal effective dose that I would need to build the habit. So repetition, 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 repetition. And again, with these habits, your habits are going to form your behaviors, and then your behaviors are going to form the culture of the people around you. So great book. I love it. Atomic Habits. I'm about halfway through. I'm sure I'll be sharing uh, some tidbits the next week. And tip number six, the craziest thing that I saw all week. The cra- I'm, I'm almost in a little debate here uh, about the craziest thing I saw all week. I'll give you two. I'll give you two. The first one is, in Atomic Habits, what the guy talked about was that when you're eating bad food, think about this right now. A lot of the bad food that you, ha- you eat has different tastes and textures to it. And because of that, you can eat a lot of that bad food. So I eat pizza, I got the bread, I got the sauce, I got the cheese. There's a lot of different stuff going on right there. You eat a french fry, the outside's crispy, the inside's chewy. You eat like uh, some sick ice cream cake, right? You got the cold ice cream, you got those little brown cookie crumbs in there. Maybe part of it is chocolate, part of it's vanilla. You could just keep eating and eating and eating. Uh, If you're eating grilled chicken... The whole time, it's just grilled chicken, and at some point, you're just going to become bored of eating that grilled chicken. So, the craziest thing is I am having this conversation with Mrs. Mahoney, a.k.a. my wife, saying, Hey, this is a pretty interesting concept, and like, I, I'm, ba- I'm I'm actually can't believe I never even thought of this, that... Why? That's why it's probably so much easier to eat all this food. And I go back to this one episode of Man vs. Food where this dude is trying to eat – he's trying to eat this giant ice cream sundae and he can't. And he calls someone over and says, hey, come over here. 
bring me a plate of french fries. He eats a couple of french fries, and then bang, he's able to go back to the ice cream. Why? Because he changed what he was eating. So I, I remember that episode, it stuck in my head, but I never connected it with, oh, like, that food is maybe be specially, all this bad food, maybe specially designed to have all these different textures so you keep eating it and eating it and eating it. Anyway, I'm telling my wife, and she says, I don't believe it. In fact, I can eat a whole loaf of bread without eating anything else on it. And as she's saying this, she is eating keto bread. All right, so she's on keto and it's some sort of keto bread. I guess it's low carb and high fat. I don't know what it is. It's she's eating it, but she's also putting butter on it. And I'm like thinking in my head, not saying it out loud. You are actually doing what they're saying. There's a piece of bread, and now it's one texture. And then you got a whole butter, which is another texture, and that, in my mind, makes it easier to keep eating that bread. Having said that, uh, I think it falls right in line to what was going on, but the person who was doing it was completely and totally ignoring the point that I was trying to make. And the good news is that my wife will never listen to this podcast and never know I said that, so... Ha! Okay, we're going to go to the second craziest thing I saw all week, and that is this week's Tag Team Challenge. So, this tag week's Tag Team Challenge was created by Joe Derrida. Joe Derrida has been thinking about this week's Tag Team Challenge, I'd say, uh, maybe a little short of a month. And what we've been doing is we've been letting tag teams, the last three weeks, each tag team, they get one shot at creating a Tag Team Challenge, and all the other teams have to do that challenge. Well, this week was Joe Derrida's Team's Tag Team Challenge. He reveals the Tag Team Challenge earlier this week, and I felt like Morgan Freedom... Freeman in the movie 7 when they went into Kevin Spacey's apartment and they found all those crazy notebooks and none of them made sense. And it was like, we could sit here for the rest of our lives, read all this stuff, and we're not going to figure it out. So Joe did uh, accompany his crazy, crazy challenge with a diagram and a video. Sorry, a video with a diagram. But, you know, I'm looking through this thing. There's like seven checkpoints. There's a hundred different rules. And I'm thinking this is complete and total insanity. So I do what uh, any great leader would do. I make no decision. I hand it over to Joe's team. I say, Joe's team, what do you guys think? Because I don't want to break Joe's heart. The guy's been thinking about this thing for, again, just a little, little short of a month. I don't want to break his heart. I figure, let me let them tell him how crazy it is. Well, these guys double down on the insanity and say, yes, this is awesome. We'll do it. So now, <laughs> we actually have to do this week's, well, we have to do Joe's Tag Team Challenge, which requires me I, we, <laughs> requires me to bring every single toy that I have in my garage. So I try not to bring all my toys to every workout this week. I'm going to take a quick segue to the end of our workout today where Nick Carroll says, Coach, have you done any analytics on how often you bring the toys or specific toys to our training sessions? And the answer is yes. So what I try and do at every workout is I try to bring one to two of our toys to every workout, and then I rotate them around. Meaning, let's say it's week one, I'll bring the prowler and the farmer's walk. Week two, I'll bring the farmer's walk and the sled and the chain. Week week three, I'll bring the sled and the chain and the prowler. So you'll see that two out of those three weeks, those toys are there. Right? So you're not going to go three weeks without seeing something. You're going to see it for two weeks, you're not going to see it for one. You're going to see it for two weeks, you're not going to see it for one. The only time when that changes is when someone like Joe Derrida makes a challenge, which is very infrequently, that requires all the toys. Now, I don't like to bring all the toys because it takes me a really long time to load up my truck. So Joe 
part of this challenge was that was annoying to me was loading my truck with everything I had to do. But again, you you earned it. You deserve it. You've been a, a key guy in this program. I'm going to do what you say. You bring a hell of a lot to the program, so we're going to do it. So back to Nick Carroll's question. The other reason that I don't want to bring everything on my truck, uh, the other, well, why we cycle things is that I don't want to bring everything on my truck, and I want to be able to evenly space out how often guys are doing things. So if you're coming to every single workout, you're going to see that prowler two weeks in a row, then it's going to get a week off. You're going to see the farmer's walk two weeks in a row, then it's going to get a week off. You're going to see the chain pull and a sled two weeks in a row, then it's going to get a chain off. That's pretty much the thought that I had. Mm-hmm. Let's go back to the challenge. So Joe has every, there's seven parts of this challenge, and it requires every toy I have. So what is this challenge? A guy, Imagine a, a half of a soccer field. A guy starts off 20 yards from the sideline with a sled with 140 pounds on it and a strap on the back of the sled. That guy is going to run full speed over to the sideline and tag another guy. That guy is going to sprint 35 yards. Remember the foreshadowing I had before. That guy is going to sprint 35 yards down the sideline to another person waiting for him. He's going to tag that person's hand, and that guy is then going to go and run to a prowler that's about five yards away. He runs back onto the field. Remember this guy? The guy was running down the sideline. He runs down the sideline, tags this other guy. He runs to a prowler that's about five yards into the field, and he pushes that 15 yards back towards the middle of the soccer field. Then there's another guy waiting. He's going to take that prowler and push it back 15 yards back to where they got it from. So again, we'll start it off right from the top. Because it's a little confusing. We got a guy with a sled in the middle of a soccer field 20 yards away from the sideline. He runs to the sideline. He tags the next guy. That guy runs down the sideline. He tags the next guy who then runs to that prowler. He pushes it with the high handle. He tags his partner. He pushes it with the low handle right back to where they started from. When that guy gets back to where he started from with the prowler, he then, again, makes another right running toward the middle of the field. He tags another guy who's holding the farmer's walk. The same farmer's walk that I have this mini strap on that snaps off during the middle of the workout. That guy picks up that farmer's walk. He runs 15 yards toward the middle of the field. He tags a guy. Another guy picks it up. He brings it back to where he starts it from. Then he makes another right, runs to the middle of the field, right in the middle of the field, along that same line, tags a guy who then is on standing on sliders, and he sliders back to the center of midfield of the field. Now, in the middle of our field, there's this big circle. So imagine if you're looking at, like, an NFL field as a logo. There's a big circle in the middle of our soccer field, and our logo is the New York City... I don't know what it is. It might be the Department of Sanitation logo. Not the Department of Sanitation logo. It's some logo for probably parks and recreations. It's a big leaf, but there's a big circle, and you're going to... You're going to slide full body through that circle. Now, when you get into that circle, this is the other trick to Joe, Joe Derrida's challenge. When you get into that circle, your team, now, whoever was not the guy doing the slider, all of you have to sprint into that circle. And before you can sprint, you have to be standing on the last drill you left off. So if you were the guy who did the last uh, prowler, you got to stand at the prowler and wait. You're going to wait for that last guy to slide her through, and then you're going to sprint through the, the end of that circle. When everybody gets into that circle, then and only then does the clock stop. Now, if you're saying, look, coach, I'm having a hard time following you, man. This thing is super confusing. Well, don't worry, because it is super confusing. I had to watch the video like 10 times. And to make this easier, I said, Joe, like this is going to take so long to get set up. We're going to get kicked off of this field because soccer is going to come. 
which, by the way, is, as luck would have it, they didn't even show up today until uh, after we left. We're going to get kicked off the field, so what do we do? And he had a good idea. He said, let's do it for the actual workout. So the good news is we got to rep this thing out, talk about Atomic Habits. We repped it out a few times as a gr entire group. We actually made it our workout, and then we did it as a tag team challenge. So let's get into, like, why did Joe Derrida do this? His thought was, our team usually has the most guys show up, and we're pretty good at transitions. And some of these other guys, they have guys that don't show up. So here's the rule. You have to tag the next guy. You can't just go from one drill to the next without tagging him. And no guy can do the same drill two times in a row. So you owe, if you have two guys, they got to basically go back and forth between each drill, and no guy can do two drills in a row. So it was a pretty brilliant thought on Joe's part. And they were trying to play to the strengths of their team. So when I talk about a team like the Junkyard Dogs, who are the team that has had the most wins this year, what happened, and it was luck or great strategy by Joe Derrida, they only had two guys come today. So now we have these two guys running back and forth the entire drill, not only getting themselves gassed, but trying to like get to the other drill before the other guy gets there to get tagged out. And they ended up getting the worst time of the day. So the Junkyard Dogs has only two guys show up. No one had any soft points. Everybody had legitimate reasons why they couldn't be there, or at least said they couldn't be there eight hours before the session. But the way this thing works out is, I think it's like Baraji goes first, and he drags the sled from the middle of the field to the sideline to tag Yurchek. Yurchek then has to sprint 35 yards down the field. But who is he going to tag? There's nobody waiting for him. So it's got to be Baraji. Baraji's got to drop the sled, and he has to also sprint 30 yard down, yards down the field, right? So it's like, it's, it's impossible to do this as efficiently and effectively as possible because they only have two guys. So because of that, they're constantly chasing each other around the field and tagging each other at the same spot they just left off in to be able to follow the rules that Joe D put in place. So Joe D, mission accomplished. You guys eliminate the junkyard dogs. Okay. The next team that's going to go uh, is actually Joe Derrida's team. So even though they made the challenge, they don't get to go last because they didn't win the week last week's challenge. Last week, the Unreliables won. And the Unreliables aren't stupid. They said, we're going to go last. So Joe Derrida's team, they have five guys. Pr already, they're doing pretty well. That's three more guys in the Junkyard Dogs who only had two. And the Unreliables only had four. And, and, as you're starting to see now, the more guys you have in this challenge, the better off you may be because you have less people running around for one drill or another getting fatigued, right? So they have five guys. Uh-oh. Problem number one. Sean Mulligan, a.k.a. Captain America, a.k.a. the Phenop. He shows up to the drill, sorry, to the workout two minutes late. The rule is you got to be at my truck at 645. Not in the parking lot at 645. You have to be at my truck at 645. Why at my truck? So that everybody can help unload the truck. It's not fair if a guy shows up at 647 and the truck's unloaded, as Sean Mulligan did. So what do we do? We tack on two seconds. Two seconds, not one, but two seconds to the time. Two minutes late, two seconds. They're already starting with two seconds on that time. Uh-oh, problem number two. Steve Armato tweaks his hamstring during the workout on the sprint leading up to the tag team challenge. So now you got a guy who can't... You're seeing some of this stuff. You either got to do a 35-yard sprint, and if you're in one of the drills... You may have to sprint to the next station to tag somebody. Oh, and at the end, the very thing that Joe Derrida thought would help his team win, well, now they got a, a gimped-up Steve Armato who's got to make his way into the circle and sprint into the circle. So now I'm thinking this is going to be pretty interesting as to where they, they put this gimp. 
because they don't want him on the sprint, right? I wouldn't want him on the sprint. I probably don't want him on the, the sled drag. I maybe want him on the prowler, but I also don't want to have him finish where he's got a long sprint back to the circle. So to make a very long story short, this crew, very smart, and I was very impressed with Pete Amorosi as he was acting like a field general during their drill. He was r reminding everybody to tag. He was reminding everybody to get back to their cone. It was a thing of beauty because these guys did everything perfectly. So Amorosi, awesome job directing the crew as they were going. And what they also did, which was very smart, I don't know who made this move, is they kind of hid Armado. So he only had one drill. He wasn't a guy that went twice. He only did a farmer's walk once. And he only did a farmer's walk and ended up at the closest cone possible to the middle circle. So very smart move by these guys. They finish in 54.6 seconds. But... We have to tack on two seconds to their time, and now they finish in 56.6 seconds because of Captain America, who came two minutes late. So now they finish in 56.6 seconds, but they completely smoked the, uh, the Junkyard Dogs, and now these guys are in first place. They're patting themselves on the back. We got this thing. Great move. Brilliant stuff. But the Unreliables, you can't count these guys out. The Unreliables are on a, a two-game winning streak. And as I've said before, and I'll say it again, if all these guys just keep showing up, they might have the most talented team there. So they put their speed demon, Cortese, on the sprint. And, uh, man, he looks like he's shot out of a cannon. Let me rewind for a second. You know, also like he was shot out of a cannon was Rob Wallen. So Rob Wallen, two weeks ago, I said they made a huge mistake putting him in a foot race against Cortese and uh, Galley. I don't know if he took it to heart. I don't know if he did some uppers before the workout, but man, he was fast. Anyway, Cortese shot out of a cannon. It just it like really set a great tone for everything else that was going to happen in the rest of that challenge. And these guys finish in 54.6 seconds. Does that sound familiar? It absolutely does, because that's what the Joe, Der Joe Deradita's team, by the way, has no name. You guys got to get one. Joe Deradita's team, they finished in 54.6 seconds, but uh-oh, Mulligan, that two minutes... That two minutes cost your team two seconds, and now you guys lost. So big win, third win in a row for the Unreliables. Now, what I said to Joe Derrida when he made the challenge was, Joe, whatever challenge you pick, you need to make sure that you guys win. Because if you don't, you're putting your whole team in jeopardy of not making the playoffs. And the worst thing that can happen is if the Unreliables win. Because if they, if they win... That actually puts your entire team in jeopardy of making the playoffs. If the Junkyard Dogs win, no big deal. They're already the top one, two, three, four seeds. Those guys are already in the playoffs. They already clinched first round buys. It doesn't matter if they win or lose. The only team you're really competing against are the Unreliables. And it, it, I'm not going to say it backfired, but it kind of backfired when Armado tweaked his hamstring. Because th those were pro- And Mulligan coming late. Those two things sealed the loss for that team. So now the Unreliables win. They have to pick two people to go head-to-head. -head. And there's not many people left that can't go that can go head-to-head because -head everybody has two losses. The only two people left in this workout were Pete Baraji, the number four seed, and Captain America Mulligan. So Mulligan's been to one workout. He's got one win. And Baraji, he's a top four guy. So here's the challenge. We go back to the middle of the, the field. There's that big circle in the middle of the field. Through the middle of this circle... Through the middle of this circle, there is a line. So what we do is we're going to have a guy slide to a full body through slider through the middle of that circle. Then at the end of that line, he gets to the edge of the circle. So he's going from one end of the circle to the other right through the middle. At the end of that circle, there is a prowler waiting for him very nicely. Sitting there just waiting. Just waiting. Just waiting. He gets up. 
from the slider, and now he's going to push that Prowler around the entire circle and get back to where he left the sliders. He's going to get back on the sliders and then slide back across the circle to where he started. That is the challenge. Sounds easy? It's really not. It's probably like a 15, 20-yard slider followed by like a, a 40-yard prowler in a circle that may get you a little dizzy, and then you got to jump back on the sliders. And part of this trick is like, where do I leave the slider? I can't kick him out. If I kick it out, i got to go get the slider and get it back. If I run the prowler over the sliders, what happens? So Baraji goes first, and he does an awesome job. He, he made it look way easier than it was, but I can see he was smoked after it was done. He gets it in 50.8 seconds. So now what it really only does for Baraji, because, uh, well, let's get to the end of this before I talk about points. Then Mulligan goes, and he gets it in 47.8 seconds. So Mulligan gets his second win. He's now 2-0. He's got six points. And now Baraji, he gets a loss. He now cannot compete in head-to-head challenges anymore. It doesn't really matter, but that one point, what it does is it gives him the same amount of points as Yurchek. So now Baraji and Yurchek both have, I believe it's 29 points. They're basically tied for the number three seed. And uh, I'll, I'll figure that out based on attendance, who gets to actually be the three seed and the four seed for the playoffs. So for them, their fate is basically sealed aside from a three seed and a four seed. For Mulligan, it lets him fight, live to fight another day. Because if Mulligan lost, he was automatically eliminated from the playoffs. But now he won, and he's got a shot. So what does all this mean? Where are we at? Well, we have one week left of the regular season. One week left. And we have... Everybody is still available to make the playoffs. How insane is that? We went through the equivalent of an NFL football season. So we've gone 16 weeks into the season. And we have 17 guys in the program... And all of them are eligible to make the playoffs, which is insane, with only one week left in the season. So we've already talked about it before, that we have seven guys, yep, we have seven guys locked into the playoffs, and we have four of them that have 11 points. That's Wallen, Bago, Amorosi, and Carroll. Now remember, we have 17 guys in the program, only 12 guys make the playoffs. We have 17 guys in the program, only 12 guys make the playoffs. So right now, we have nine guys fighting for those last five seats. Nine guys are fighting, hell, I think it's actually ten guys are fighting for those last five seats. And what's happening is, we have four guys that are tied with 11 points. And if they win, they make the playoffs. So if those guys win next week, that's Wallen, Blago, Amorosi, and Carroll. If they win, they're in. If they don't win, and other people win, then there's four guys with eight points. Derrida, Armado, Strange, and Hezra. If those guys win... They get 11 points, and now they're tied with those other guys, and we're going to have some insane head-to-head challenge to see who the top 12 guys really are. So there is a likelihood next week. It's not, it's not impossible. Uh, it's highly improbable. But there's a likelihood next week that we're going to have like six guys with 11 points, and they're going to have to compete, compete in some challenge to find out which, I don't know, four of those six guys are going to be eligible to make the actual playoffs. And the, the, what we put, if you're looking at our website, if it says WI, that means win and you're in. If there's an SP, that means you need to win, but you also need to hope that guys on your team are soft and don't show up. Because the way this thing works, for, to remind people, is you get three points if you win with your team. But if your whole team is there, they're also getting three points. So a guy like Derrida, he has eight points. If his team wins next week, that also means that Wallen and Blanco and Amorosi win. 
and they get three more points. So now they, they got 14, and Deradina does not make the playoffs, right? So he needs those guys not to show up, and he needs to win in order to make the playoffs. That's what that SP means, right? Same thing with Armado, who's on Deradita's team. It basically, him and Deradita need those two guys to just show up and win, and nobody else on their team show up, and then they can make the playoffs. And a guy like, uh, who am I looking at here? Hezra, he needs his team to win, but he also needs to make sure that a guy like Carroll doesn't show up, right? So this, this is now where it's getting interesting, because it was a team-based event, and now it's like, wow. I, I got to hope guys on my team are soft, and now I have to make this individual effort to win and get myself into the playoffs. And the reason these guys have to think this way is because they all have two losses already head-to-head, so they can't compete in a head-to-head challenge. And why am I bringing this up? Because Mulligan, who's the last guy left, he has six points. And the reason he's not mathematically eliminated is because, and this is only because, if his team loses, he can still be thrown into a head-to-head challenge. And if his team wins, they win, he can actually go into a head-to-head challenge and compete like we did with Marechko and Youngblood if there is nobody left who has two losses. I'm sorry, if there's nobody left to compete against someone who has less than two losses. So I'm going to repeat this again because guys who are in the group, if you're not in advanced training, I don't care about this stuff, but I certainly do. So here's how Mulligan can get into the playoffs. His team wins and... He does another challenge against someone who does not have two losses yet because he's the only guy left to do it because he doesn't have two losses, and then he wins again. So, Mulligan, you need two wins. You need him against the right people. You need certain people to not show up, right? You need certain people to not show up so you can get yourself into uh, that that threshold of the top 12. But this is going to be super interesting. So, Joe Derrida, the one thing I said that couldn't happen was you can't let the unreliable one win, and they did. So now this is sick. We're in the last week of the regular season, week 17. It's as long as an NFL season, and we still have every single person in the program eligible to make the playoffs. All right, I've spoken too long. I'm actually more exhausted from this podcast than I was the actual workout today, which was pretty exhausting and awesome at the same time. Joe Derrida, great challenge. It was highly entertaining. I loved every second of it. Uh, and this is it, people. Enjoy the rest of your week. This episode is brought to you by Zero Shoes, a company that is perfectly named. Why? Because when you're wearing their shoes, you feel like you're walking around completely and totally barefoot, a.k.a. like you're not wearing any shoes, a.k.a. like you are wearing zero shoes. Now, we've all heard the benefits of barefoot training, but who wants to walk into a gym without any shoes on your feet? First of all, it's gross, and second of all, it's disgusting. Now, the other benefits of Zero Shoes is not only are they functional, but they're also fashionable. So you've seen many a time people walk in the gym with these minimalist shoes and they look like a freak. Not with zero shoes. You're going to blend right in. Also, they have a wide toe box so that your toes are not all scrunched together in the front like they normally are with any standard training sneaker or cleat. Now, to get your shoes, go to zeroshoes.com slash go slash Mahoney AT. Again, that's zeroshoes.com slash go slash Mahoney AT. And that zero is spelt with an X. It is X-E-R-O. Again, I'll say it again. It's X-E-R-O. Get your zero shoes today.